Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is so, so good, isn't he? How many feel the goodness of the Lord today? Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're continuing on our faith series. And I want to begin today by pointing out the fact that as a Christian, living by faith means that faith should impact all of the important facets of our lives. Every part of our life that is meaningful and important should be impacted by our faith. How many would say amen? Amen. I love the word of God because the word of God, it just covers it all. The word of God uh, addresses all of the things that we need to, so that we can honor God and serve God and love God. And today we're going to look at how faith impacts one of like the core features of our lives, one of the most important things in our life, which is our family. How many agree that faith should impact our family? Can I get an amen? amen. And so we're going to go right into this, and um, I want to begin again by defining faith. Uh, I, I have just felt in my heart to be very deliberate about this. I want to uh, forgive the redundancy, but some things need to be repeated. So here's, here is our working definition of faith. Faith is confident. It's twofold. It's confident expectation in the presence, power, and provision of the unseen God. That's what that young man was going through that he just testified about his job and him believing God. He put his faith in the presence, power, and provision of the unseen God. Fundamentally speaking, that is faith in the person of God. God is a person. We put our faith in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. How many would say amen? We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, and he rose from the dead, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says he lives to intercede for us. We believe that Jesus is faithful yesterday, today, and forever. Forever. How many would say amen? The person. God is a person. Jesus is trustworthy. He lived a life that was worthy to be honored, trusted, believed in, followed, and surrendered to. And so our faith is in the person. And then secondarily, uh, faith is absolute belief and trust in the command of God, which which is faith in the word of God or faith in the words of that person. And so what's so amazing about the word of God is the word of God are come from his heart. They come from his mouth. The Bible says all scripture is God breathed. That means that there were human vessels that God moved upon by his Holy Spirit. And when he moved upon them, they said exactly what he wanted them to say. And it's been captured. And then even now, even today, 
as we read the word of God, the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That word is a living word that still speaks to us today. How many know the word of God is true and the word of God is worthy of all of our faith, all of our hope and all of our trust. Can I get an amen for that? How many believe that about the Bible? I hope you love your Bible. Fall in love with the word of God. It's God's love letter to you, and it's worthy to, to, to base your whole life on what the Bible says. Blessed be his name. So now we're going to turn here and look at how the Bible wants to impact our family by faith. So uh, this is a cluster of verses, uh, um, and when I studied this, even though so far I've been going one person at a time, I really felt in my heart that I, should, I needed to put the cluster together. And then after my study, I went on to look at other commentaries and commentators, and I was encouraged to notice that many of them did the same thing. So look at what the Bible says here. It says, it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob... When he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. Now, it was by faith that Joseph, which was the next son, when he was about to die, he said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. He says, I don't even want my bones in Egypt. Take them. Be sure to take him. And then it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months. When he was born, they saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. So where, what you see happening here is faith being passed on from one generation to another. And the title of my message today is Faith Prophesies. Everybody say Faith Prophesies. Faith prophesies from one generation to another. Faith prophesies. Every Christian home needs to develop a sense of the prophetic. When we become part of the kingdom of God, something should cover our house. The blessing and the promise of God now begins to cover our home and not, not just our home and not just us as individuals, but how many know our children who will come after us? How many believe in the covering and blessing of God upon us and our children and our children's children? Faith prophesies. There's, a, there's something prophetic that happens that uh, is ignited when we become Christians. Something powerful happens, not just to us, but something powerful is meant to happen to our generations. And so I want to take a moment to, we'll pray in a moment, but I want to take a moment to kind of clarify some things about prophecy. Because I want to say up front, this doesn't mean that everyone is trying to take up the office of prophet. Okay, you can prophesy, but not necessarily carry the office of prophet. I think that this is worth kind of highlighting. So let me just, let me lay this out. 
Okay, I will call it this way. There are three levels of prophecy. First of all, there's the scriptural level, when I just talked about that. And at the scriptural level, a prophecy is a divine declaration or description or representation of something future beyond the power of human ability to foresee or discern. In other words, there are prophecies in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Hosea, in the book of Micah. There are all of these prophecies that are the word of God. The scripture is the ultimate authority of all of life. God's word, the Bible says, I put my word above my name. God's word is true through and through. Every word of God, every sentence of the Bible is perfect because those are God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. And when you read the word of God and when you see the prophecies in the word of God, those are incontrovertible truths that if they, most of them have come to pass, but those that haven't come to pass yet, you can bank your life life on the fact that every word of God will come to pass. How many would say amen? Every promise of God will be fulfilled. The word of God is perfect and the word of God is true. Perfect. So scriptural prophecy, prophecy has the highest authority. Now, the Bible teaches in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, and in other places, the Bible teaches that we as a body when we're, when we're together, there are spiritual gifts that are given to the body. And the Bible talks about that there is a gift of prophecy. And at that level, it's not the same as the Bible. Okay? At that level, a spiritual gift used can be used in this wise. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So when we come together, part of what should happen is people should be talking to one another and they should be so full of God and so close to God that even though they're not aware of it, sometimes God is using them prophetically to speak to someone and they're saying, have you ever had someone come and say some things to you just out of the kindness or goodness of their heart? But when they're talking to you, something prophetic is coming through them to you and you're like, oh snap, God is talking to me through my brother or through my sister and they're building me up. They're encouraging me. Sometimes you'll say, thank you, I really needed that. You see, and, and I want to say that if they, if some people say, well, the gifts of the spirit are, are, are done. Well, I'm like, I can't see any verse in the Bible that says that, number one. Number two, how could, how could we be less needy today of all of the things that God did in the New Testament than they were? How many know we're just as needy today as they were back in the first century? How many would say Amen. And so, Lord, may there be something prophetic be loosed in the body so that when we're talking to each other, we're saying things that literally are like coming from God to our brothers and sisters. You know, I, I, in my own life, I can tell you over the years, people have spoken into my life prophetically. Was it like the word of God, like at scripture? No, but man, God sure used it. And so when people are close to God, they say things, they can even speak prophetically, and, and the body is built up. Now, the third level, which we're going to focus on today, is the parental level. You see, because when you and I become a Christian, 
our homes should change. The atmosphere of our home should change. The dynamic of our home should change. And one of the things that should happen in our home is there should be this impartation of life and encouragement, okay, as you see in these four verses that I just mentioned, okay, where there's a speaking, this kind of prophesying, I mean that there's this speaking life, life-giving and insightful encouragement regarding your child's future. There are conversations that parents have with their kids that, are, that should be powerful, life-giving, insightful. Here's a classic example, and then I'm going to pray. So we were praying uh, uh, um, before, you know, we pray every Sunday early. All the, lead, all the pastors get together and we pray for the three meetings of the day. And uh, I'll share what I'm preaching on. Pastor Matt said to me, you know, um, it's interesting because this past week I, was, I had this conversation with my son, Justice, who's seven years old. So Justice is, um, he just started Re, uh, reading or listening to the book of Revelation. He's going light, you know, he's just seven years old going with the light stuff. And uh, so they're, they're kind of talking about it and, and Justice started to ask him some pretty serious questions. Dad, what does this mean? And Dad, what about this, what about that? So he said, well, all right, well, let, let's go to Culver's, get some ice cream. We're gonna talk about this. And so he started to share with Justice about things that the book of Revelation shares. And he started to share with him about the fact that, that there is a sucking second coming of Christ. How many believe in the second coming, the blessed hope? And he started to talk about different positions that great theologians have had, you know, pre-tribulation, mid-trib, post-trib, and... And, um, and while he's talking to him, this is what I mean, guys. While he's talking to him about the, the, the tribulation and how we need to be prepared and, and all of this stuff, it dawned on Pastor Matt while he was talking that about eight years ago when he was thinking about the beginning of a family and having children or, or even more, right? How old is Hannah? She's nine. So, so 10 years, 11 years before that when he was you know, thinking about all of these things, he actually prayed, Pastor Matt actually prayed and said, Lord, when I have children, help me to prepare my children. Lord, that if a tribulation comes, I want children who are gonna stand. So he's having this talk with justice and he's like, oh snap, Lord, I prayed this X amount of years ago and here it is right here, it's happening. You see, and how many know that should happen? We should be having conversations about the kingdom, about the future, about eternity. We should be having conversations about the glory of Christ, about, about the beauty, the grandeur of living for the will of God. We should be having conversations with our children about how special it is to be washed in the blood, how amazing it is to be cleansed and forgiven and to have divine purpose and destiny. How many would agree those are the kinds of conversations we need to be having with our children? How many would say amen? So this is really powerful and important stuff because we're just passing through. How many know we're just passing through? And we're called 
to live for God. And part of living for God means that in your house, and if you're a single person, you need to start now. Make your home a godly home. Make your life a prophetic life. You see? Get ready for everything that God has. Because, I want to pray, but before I pray, I just want to say this. It's important for us to understand that, listen, family and being prophetic over other people and, and children is not just physical. How many know it's spiritual too? And so you could be a single person and you could have spiritual children. And you can still prophesy over their lives. And you can encourage them and help them to find the will of God. I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't have those conversations. I had great conversations with my mom and dad, but I didn't have those kinds of conversations. But God brought other people in my life to have those conversations. How many are thankful for the body of Christ that comes and fills in what's lacking and missing? So listen, we all have a role to play in this amazing cycle of building one another up for the glory of God. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for this time. I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a day where your spirit, Lord, penetrates every heart and every home deeply. I pray, Father, that, that your Holy Spirit would so arrest our hearts that it would change the way we live at home. And I pray that there would be a blanket of the promise of the word of God. Lord, of the plans of God, of the will of God. Lord, blanket every home, every apartment, every home, Lord, every studio. Lord, by your mighty power, every bedroom of our children and our grandchildren. Blanket them, O oh God, with your perfect will, your plan, and your purposes. You did it back then. Oh, God, in the days of old, and you can do it today. Bless this word. Teach us, show us, and Lord, help us to fulfill your plan. Oh, God, in the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen, amen and amen. Every home should, I would say, must develop a deep sense of the prophetic. And here's what J.B. Phillips said about this before I make a couple points. Uh, faith speaks to the future of the family at the individual level, starts with a person, and then at the tribal level, then it spills over into your particular tribe, and then at the national level, it spills over into the greater world. You see? That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, you might say, wait a second, national level, what are you talking about? You, you mean little old me? Well, how many know everybody is a little old me? <laughs> But when you take the collective use work of God through all of the little old me's, how many know we can reach the world? Doesn't the Bible say, go into all the world and preach the gospel? You see, so all of us together, we have our role to play, and this is the way it's supposed to unfold. So two, two key points today. Number one, how, how do we learn how to do this? What do we need to understand? First of all, it's very important for us to understand that faith prophetically shapes our generations. Faith prophetically shapes our generations. 
Notice that it went from Isaac to Jacob and Esau, but when it went to Jacob and Esau, it started to expand, okay? And when it went to Joseph, it started to expand and went to Moses, it expanded even greater. Moses went on to, to lead the whole nation of Israel. It started with Abraham. By the time it got to Moses, now it was a whole nation of people. You see, and it's supposed to shape our generations. When I gave my heart to the Lord, God wanted to start something new. Now, now look at this. Look, because I didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Okay, but watch this. In the natural sense, this is what the natural family tree looks like. So you have great grandparents, you have grandparents, you have parents. Then you have you, children, grandchildren, and you see how it all branches out. This is the way it happens. This is the way uh, 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 the Lord made it. But spiritually speaking, it's true as well. So this past Monday, uh, I was at, a, at Chrissy's grandmother's memorial service. She passed away. She was 104 years old. That lady was strong. <laughs> she was strong. It was amazing. It was amazing. She told Chrissy when she was 90, she said, I don't know, Chris. I think this might be my last year. She went on to live another 14 years. <laughs> and, uh, and she was always in church and always worshiping God, three services. Um, just an amazing story. And I had heard about Chrissy's grandfather was a, a missionary, made hundreds of trips, was a special man of God. But I didn't know the other side, and I heard it at the, at the uh, memorial service. So... Check this out. So she was, uh, um, she lived in Pennsylvania. She was one of 10 children. And um, one of her siblings, they were a Catholic family, very committed Catholics. She, um, she was one of 10 children. One of her siblings had convulsions all the time. And so somehow, uh, by the way, she was born in 1914, so this is going way back. So somehow, they got word to someone in New York, and I don't know if I got the story right. He either took a train or a bus, but from New York, he went and traveled all the way to Pennsylvania, and this preacher, and by the way, uh, I usually don't make these distinctives, but I will today. He was a Pentecostal preacher. So as a, as a Pentecostal preacher, what I mean by that is he was someone who believes that God still heals people today. He believed in the gifts of the Spirit. And so um, he went and he spent two days and he prayed, prayed over the child and prayed and prayed and prayed. And after two days, he left. So after he left, what the family noticed was is that week one went by and no convulsions. Week two went by. Week four went by. Month four went by, and lo and behold, he never had another convulsion ever, ever again. How many know God is great and glorious and powerful? So now the whole family was born again. So they're all born again, and now she, she kind of, when she gets older, she migrates to New York, and then she gets married, and then she has three children. One of her children, uh, uh, his name was James. He would grow to become Pastor Simbla, Chrissy's dad, okay? 
And, and Pastor Simbla, I was sitting next to him. Pastor Simbla, he grew up, his dad, he even talked about this. His dad became an alcoholic and was a, he became pretty vicious to his mother and used to beat her up and all kinds of things. Really, really bad. And he grew up in that. And I, many times, there's something, you know, I know he's my pastor, okay? But I've always felt like, like there was something special about him because I always felt like there was a profound love that he had for God. And as I was listening to these stories, it, it made me think, Lord, even his hardship, even the brokenness, and may, probably all the times that Pastor Simla felt lonely because he couldn't connect with his dad because his dad was an alcoholic, maybe that's why he loves you so strong. Maybe that's why he loves you. Maybe that's why he's so close to you and, and can, can hear you so well, you know? And then I come to the church. I get saved on a baseball field. And forgive me for talking about myself. But I, I get saved. In my family, we didn't hear about Jesus. It was all kinds of craziness, you, you know? I mean, I had a good, stable home. But on the flip side, I had a very worldly home. And when I got saved, God had a plan for me to, to have a, it was like, it would be different. It was going to be a different kind of living. I came from voodoo and all kinds of craziness and, and all that, but now no more voodoo. The blood of Jesus washes away all of that craziness. It's a new thing. I, and I, I was thinking the other day, I was in, um, I was talking to one of my friends who took a missions trip to, to uh, um, Nepal, and they were in a remote, remote part of Nepal, and they were walking for miles, and they came across this small little group of people, and in that group of people, there was a Christian, and they spoke to one of the Christians, and as they were talking, the guy said, hold on a second, I got to show you something. I got a book from America, and he pulls out a book, and it was one of Pastor Simbla's books. I was like, oh, snap. You know, you know why? Why does that happen? Okay, it happens because that's God's plan. You see, that's God's plan for her and her and her and him and her. That's God's plan. God wants to break in to our lives and then he wants to shape everything regardless of your past, regardless of how ugly it could have been, regardless of where you've been. When you meet Jesus, you get washed and cleansed and God sets something new into your future. Something new, something powerful. God wants to release something powerful into your future. Listen to this. Okay, this is really right here in this city. Okay, check this out because this is, this is not physical family, but it is spiritual. Watch this. Listen to me. Okay, Edward Kimball, this man, decided to share the gospel with a young shoe salesman by the name of Dwight, uh, Dwight Moody. Moody prayed to receive Christ as his Savior that day and later became one of the most passionate preachers of his generation. And we know Moody would go on to found uh, Moody Bible Institute, R.A. Torrey. And by the way, Pastor Matt and Pastor Dave and his wife and Mandy and a bunch of those leaders are traced back to this man sharing the gospel with this man. Isn't that crazy? You see? Well, let me keep going here. Sometime later, a well-known author by the name of F.B. Meyer was so moved by the might and power in the message of Moody that he embarked on the evangelistic trail with the message of the gospel. 
of the many who came to saving knowledge through Meyer's ministry was a young college student by the name of Wilbur Chapman. And Chapman went out to, went out to proclaim the message of Jesus. That's him right there. During one of the evangelistic tent meetings held by Chapman, a young ball player, young baseball player, hired to help erect the tents was ignited by the gospel message and influenced to step out with all of his life's energy to take that gospel to all. That sportsman was the famous Billy Sunday. Sunday's zeal for the gospel took him at one point to Charlotte, North Carolina, where a small prayer group was formed after one of Sunday's meetings. Mordecai Ham, a member of that men's prayer group, maybe, I hope you're a member of a prayer group. Come on. A member of that men's prayer group was moved to become an answer to his own prayer for laborers by holding crusades throughout the city of Charlotte at one crusade where few converts were won, very few converts, but the message did transform the life of one tall, lanky boy who became one of the world's greatest gospel preachers to this day, Billy Ga Graham. How many praise God for the life of Billy Graham? You see... When a person comes to faith, God wants to shape a generation. When a person comes to faith, God wants to use that life in amazing and powerful ways. How many know we are called to shape the generations? Now, I want to pause here just for a quick second. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do want to say this because there is a rhyme and reason for things that we do. You take the Beyond Project. Why are we building that, trying to build a community center? You know why? Because we feel a responsibility to shape the next generation. How many believe we're supposed to shape the next generation? And you know, that means that we have to be sensitive to the generations. Okay? It's very important that we're sensitive to the generations. And so over time, listen, when, when uh, Dio Moody in his day, he had a guy with him. His name was Ira Sankey, and Ira Sankey was a singer. Yeah, this is important. I want you to listen to this. Uh, 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 this is a tangent, but very important. So Ira Sankey would travel with him, and he was such an anointed worship leader, singer. He would sing every time before Moody got up to preach. Okay? But that was in that day. And then music went on to change. If Ira Sankey sang today, we would celebrate, uh, I mean, he'd be, I don't know, 400 years old, whatever it is, but, you know, we would celebrate him, him singing, but that's not necessarily the music that we would go out and get on our Spotify, whatever it is that you use, Apple Music, you see? And so, so when, when Christy and I, for example, started this church, we came from a church that was predominantly, uh, the music was more black gospel. You know, which, which in the natural, that would be my preference, okay? Now, we do black gospel music. The choir does lots of black gospel here. I love black gospel music. But I remember early on when we started, I was like, hey, the young people of our church don't only listen to black gospel. They listen to other stuff. And as long as it's anointed and God-glorifying, listen, very important, okay? As a leader, as a Christian, you have to learn to set aside your preferences for the principles of the word of God. 
My preferences can't demand, can't just demand and guide this church. How many know God's principles need to be the guiding factor of this church? Can I get an amen? And so things change. Things change. And when you're in the body of Christ and things change, don't get so ruffled and act like, oh, that's not anointed because it's not my preference. You know, I have a, I, I, it's so funny. I mentioned this last service and I was, I thought he was going to be in this service, but he was in last service. I just didn't see him. So one of my friends, his name is Mike. Mike Rishi is a deacon here, actually. We've been friends for a lot of years, even before they start coming to this church. So he uh, would tease me over the last, tease me anytime I had pants on with, um, with no-show socks. So today I took the, look, I want to say something to everyone. If you're over 40, I want to give you a revelation. You ready? There are socks that people wear and you can't see them. They're called no-shows. That's from Mike Risha, by the way. Is that, why don't you wear socks? It's, what, what's wrong, dude? I don't know socks. You know, look, Pastor Toledo has sneakers on. How could, how could you stand in the pulpit and preach with sneakers on? So you mean the Apostle Paul, he had, uh, did he have like black wingtips when he was preaching? <laughs> he has sandals on, I think. I would be rocking Nike sandals myself, but. So listen, learn, learn this. And if you're young, I have to tell you this. If you're young, okay, because this goes both ways. Sometimes, sometimes older folks can be resistant. Sometimes younger folks can be, can be resistant too. So look, when I first got saved, I was 17, and I was hearing hymns that were hundreds of years old. And I was so desperate for God. I was so brokenhearted. I don't know how you came to God, but when I came to God, I was brokenhearted. I was, my heart was bleeding all day because of things that went down in my life. And I would, we would have a bulletin and we would, I would cut out the hymn of the bulletin and paste it in my Bible. And I started to memorize. So I'm a kid from Brooklyn, from the hood, never heard a hymn in my life. And now I'm walking through the streets singing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And let me tell you something, learn to listen for the anointing in things rather than your preference. How many would say amen? Can I get an amen? I don't like that kind of music. <laughs> don't listen like that. Listen for the Spirit of God. Listen for the truth. How many want the truth? How many want the Spirit? How many want the Word? That's what we need. And we need to be very deliberate about focusing on shaping the generations to come. So faith is supposed to shape the generations. That's the first thing that this passage teaches us. And then secondly, very important, shape is supposed, faith is supposed to prophetically shape our sons and daughters. Okay? Faith prophetically shapes our sons and daughters. When faith is really alive and working, it starts to shape our kids. Okay, when faith is alive in your house and my house, and how many know faith is supposed to be alive? Okay, not culture. Let me tell you, culture doesn't change people. Okay, but the spirit of Christ can change anybody. You see, 
not tradition. Traditions won't change people. It doesn't mean you can't have a good tradition, but we need the spirit of the living God at work in our homes and in our families. We need the word of God at work in our homes and our families. Okay, and so it's faith prophetically shapes our sons and daughters and notice that the example set by the Bible is that fathers would prophesy over their sons. Okay, there was this passing down. Mothers would prophesy over their, over their sons and daughters. Fathers over their sons and daughters. There was this passing down that was really powerful. Look, look at this example in Susanna Wesley. You guys, if you've ever heard of a Methodist church, here's where a Methodist church was born, okay? So in 1711, Susanna's husband, Samuel, was on an extended ministry trip. He was a minister. In his absence, Susanna cared for the spiritual well-being of her family by leading Sunday afternoon prayer gatherings for her 10 children, including John and Charles, Okay, Wesley, who were eight and four at the time. Listen to what she said. I thought it my duty to spend some part of the day in reading to and instructing my family. Others began to join them. Soon this family devotion time was drawing 40 to 50 people to her kitchen. Oh, that 40 to 50 people will be packed into our kitchen just to have a little time with Jesus, a little time of worship, a little time of the word. How many would say amen? You see, Susanna would read a sermon and lead in worship. And this, listen to this, John and Charles Wesley would go on to start the Methodist movement. They are the fathers of the Methodist movement. Lay people sharing small, small devotions and women serving in ministry were staples of the early Methodist movement. It all started because a woman got a hold of God and her faith began to shape an entire generation and thousands and thousands. John would go on to be an amazing uh, preacher, preached over 40,000 sermons in his life. Charles would write hymns that you and I have probably sung. You see, why? Because powerful things can happen in your kitchen and in mine. Powerful things can happen in your kitchen. When we seek God, when we get full of the word of God, when we declare the word of God, when we lift our voice, are you lifting your voice in your house and saying, I love you, Lord. Jesus, look down from heaven. This little patch right here, this little apartment, oh God, we love you here. I'm telling you, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth, seeking to strengthen any heart that's sold out to him. You see, young marrieds, how many know we need to worship God in our house? We need to prophesy. We need to say, let the word of God flow in our homes because real faith, how many of real faith prophesies? So let me say a couple of things about this and then we're gonna, we're gonna pray. So the promise was passed down to the children. Number one, the parents play a major role in passing down the promise, okay? So look, uh, 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 parents, speak the word of God over your children. 
okay? Speak the word of God in your house, and it doesn't matter if they go, oh, mom. Don't worry about that. How many know God's word is powerful? Speak the word of God. Speak the word of God in your house. Number two, the parents must live out their convictions and the promises for their family. You need to practice what we preach so that we'll have the moral authority to prophesy. You need moral authority to prophesy over your children. So let's practice what we preach. How many would say amen? Amen. Amen. Let's live out what we believe. Then lastly, parents must pray and believe beyond their generation. Lord, give us a burden not just for ourselves, but for our children and our children's children. Give us a burden, not just for ourselves, okay, but for all of the children of the city of Chicago. Okay, come on, give me an amen for that. Because I don't know how God does it, but I know this, when the spirit of God starts to come down, all things are possible. All things, and we can live lives, not that you become a prophet, but you can live a life that is prophetic. You see, and that's what I want to pray for today. Here, I want to, I want to practically speaking, if you're a parent here, how do we prophesy? What do we learn from these verses when it comes to prophesying over our children? This is unique, it's delicate, and so let's look at this for a moment. Number one. When you go to speak over the lives of your children, remember, God's promises complete, they don't compete. So it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his uh, sons, Jacob and Esau. And sometimes, if we're not careful, our children will compete, but make sure that you're sensitive to that. We wanna speak words that help complete them. We don't wanna stir up a competition. Very, very important. Number two, God's promises are insightful, not hurtful. So by faith, Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. So now, so now there was a lesson learned here, okay? Because Isaac was playing favorites and it caused all kinds of stress and controversy. Now Jacob is in that place and he learned from his father. He said, no, the younger one gets this blessing. The older one gets this blessing. And Joseph was like, no, that's not what tradition says. He goes, stop. Uh, What I got, this is insightful. It's not going to hurt anybody, but I have insight. I want to pray that God would give us insight to our children and our grandchildren and the people around us. How many would say amen? Amen. But we need to be sensitive to that. Two more quick and then we're we're gonna pray. Listen, God's promises are liberating, they're not denigrating. So always know when you go to speak the word of God, look, it says it was by faith that when he was about to die, he said confidently that the people would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them, and they left. And so we as parents, we stand in faith. Both of these verses say this. Sometimes our kids even are grabbing hold of the world and the things of this world and things that bring them down. But we say no in the name of Jesus, not one of the bones of your body will be trapped in Egypt. We prophesy freedom, freedom in the name of Jesus. You're going to live for God. Hallelujah. Our children, as for for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
I love the last one. God's promises preserve us. They don't destroy us. I, this is so powerful. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. They were not afraid, afraid to disobey the king's command. Look, we're living in a day that the king's command, and by the way, it's going to get worse. We're living in a day that the king's command is a terrible command. We're living in a day that the laws are getting uglier and uglier and uglier. But as for our homes and our children, we'll serve the Lord, we'll honor the Lord. We will not bow down to the unholiness of any king. We only bow down to Jesus. Come on, be a little bit more courageous and say, yes, I, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Pastor Matt's getting his kids, and, 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 and we also got to get everybody here ready. If the tribulation comes, we're not going to bow down to Pharaoh. We will only bow to Jesus. How many would say amen? amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Every home, every home needs to be blanketed with a sense of the prophetic, the promise of God, the word of God, the spirit of God. And what we need, brothers and sisters, is we need, I'm telling you right now, we need for God's spirit to come with fresh power, just the same way he did in the New Testament when the church was born. I believe the church needs to be reborn. We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Could you stand to your feet? Could you lift your hands to the Lord? Hallelujah, Jesus. Could we say, God, would you blanket our... In fact, take, the, take your neighbor's hand and lift it up to God. This goes beyond blood. We are the family of God. I want, we need the Spirit of God to come and blanket every home. The promise of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the power of God. God, every house, that's what we need, oh God. We prophesy that over every life here, oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift your voice, everyone. Spirit of God, come like the dawn. Open the heavens on us.
eyes closed. This is the family of God. We are the household of faith. The hand that you're holding belongs to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. We belong to one another. We are the people of God. All walks of life, every color, every tribe, every tongue, it doesn't matter. We've all been washed in the blood. God has a prophetic plan and purpose. Hallelujah. I want you to pray for God's prophetic plan and purpose to cover every, every household. Come on, let's pray for the Spirit of God, the plan of God, the will of God. Pray to the left. Pray to the right right now.
one turn, greet someone before you go. God bless you. We hope.